Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, March 16th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film writers, Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hi. All right, let's start, as we often do, with some Marvel Studios-related news. HT, what is the latest piece of Marvel casting that we should know about? So Marvel's Secret Invasion series, which is an upcoming Disney Plus series that will adapt the Secret Invasion comic book crossover arc, uh, has cast its main villain. And it will be played by Kingsley Ben-Adir, best known for his breakout turn as Malcolm X in One Night in Miami. A phenomenal phenomenal performance. Uh, And he'll be playing the lead villain. Uh, No character details beyond that. And uh, the the main villain part is just based on reports from Variety and Deadline. But uh, that will be the likely a scroll of some kind. I'm not familiar with the Secret Invasion arc, so I can't exactly say. But um, yeah, this will be a little a bit of a twist on the Secret Invasion arc that was seen in Marvel Comics because that one uh, was about the slow invasion of the shape-shifting scrolls, and the scrolls that we met in the Captain Marvel film uh, were much more friendly than the ones that uh, are typical of Marvel Comics. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, how this plays out. So you mentioned the scroll thing. That's the the sort of downside to this, right? Is that like such a great actor gets buried in makeup. Is that a fear of yours, HD? Yeah, he's such an expressive actor. And uh, I feel, I do fear that he will be buried under layers of makeup but uh, and prosthetics. But if he has as much fun with it as um, Ben Mendelsohn did in Captain Marvel, then, you know, maybe he, it could be a good time. But uh, I hope it won't be a case of like Lee Pace, for example, in Guardians of the Galaxy, who is an actor that no one remembers is in that movie, but uh, right. <laughs> completely got buried in all that prosthetics. Yeah, or God forbid, uh, Oscar Isaac and X-Men Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I'm just like spitballing here and thinking about this as you uh, reacting to your your statement there. But you, you just mentioned like the, the scrolls in the Marvel Universe thus far have been kind of depicted as good guys. Um, maybe 
there maybe you, this character won't be a scroll. Maybe he'll be like a different type of alien or something that won't be quite as uh, prosthetic up. So I don't yeah. know. I guess we'll have to wait. Uh, it's been a long time since I've watched Captain Marvel, but there were who were the villains against the scroll? <laughs> I, I honestly remember. don't remember. It was either. Jude Law's character, and he was one of them, and I can't even remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, who was that? It was uh, some like really famous, like maybe Oscar-winning actress was. Uh, some Annette sort of Benning. computer Annette system. Benning. Yeah, that's right. Oh my god! Wow, what a what a. I have not. I guess I need to rewatch Captain Marvel. No, you not, don't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that movie since theaters. I feel like that's going to be one where you know, like people were like okay on that movie when it came out, but I, I feel like it's going to be one of those movies that Marvel, um, if they're smart anyway, they will do for that film what they did f- for uh, Thor. Um, uh, what was it called? Thor: The Dark, Dark World. World, and uh, and Have what a better like sequel? <laughs> yeah, and and um, Avengers: Age of Ultron with WandaVision, where like they'll tell some story moving forward where it will require people to rewatch or like recontextualize or or appreciate in a different way um, the events that happened in Captain Marvel because I think you know I think that movie didn't perform quite as well as they wanted to. I mean, it did well, um, but it just doesn't have like the last, I mean, as evidenced by the fact that we can't even remember who the villains are exactly. Um, it, it doesn't have the staying power. public memory immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, let's move to the the uh, next news item here. Um, and that involves some changes behind the scenes to the organization that uh, runs the Golden Globes. Chris, tell us about that. Uh, so the Golden Globes is run by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and they have, they currently have 87 members and not a single member is black and they got rightly called out for that this year, even though it's been going on for a while, but they got called out for it finally this year. And a lot of people were talking about boycotting the Golden Globes. And at the time when they got called out, the HFPA said, okay, we're going to make some changes, but they were kind of vague about what exactly they were going to do. And the other day, uh, over a hundred PR firms sent a letter to the HFPA saying, basically, look, unless you actually tell us what those changes are going to be, we're going to tell the talent we represent to boycott your awards, you know, where they're not going to show up. And that's bad news because let's be real. The golden globes are, a publicity event. They're they're all about s- stars. It's not really about the awards. It's it's kind of a joke of awards. So let's be let's be real people. So so the HFPA uh, the same day that the the PR representative sent this email, they sent out a letter out of their own, and um, I have the full letter on slashroom.com, so I'm not going to read it. Uh, but part of the, their letter, they they promised that they're going to make it a requirement that at least 13% of the membership going forward will consist of black journalists. Now, whether or not you think that's enough is, you know, um, up to you to interpret. But this is, I guess, a step in the right direction. You know, it, a part of me is like, why, you know, if they hadn't been called out, they would have never done this to begin with. So it's kind of like better late than never, but you know, they still fucked up to begin with. So (laughs) take that, you know, as as you will. Um, uh, well, I'm curious what you think about this whole thing, Chris, because like you sort of alluded to when you were just, uh, introducing the topic of this story, you know, there have been problems behind the scenes with the Hollywood foreign press association for a long time, the way that they have, you know, conduct themselves as a group and, um, you know, 
every few years, it seems like there's some big, you know, expose that comes out and like nothing ever happens about it. Are you surprised that something actually is kind of happening about it this time? Not really, because in truth, nothing really has happened yet. Like so far, this is all like empty rhetoric. I, mm. you know, if they actually back it up, then we can talk. You know, at this point, I honestly feel like the Golden Globes are so toxic and so silly that I don't even think they should really continue. Like there should be something new instead, because even if you, you know, separate yourself from this, there's also just all this behind the scenes glad handing where the, that award ceremony exists strictly. So members of the HFPA can hang out with celebrities. That's really why the golden globes exist. They have luncheons. They want to get their photo taken with actors and, and, you know, the more actors make themselves available, the more likely they're going to get a nomination. It's it's a scam, is what I'm saying. <laughs> or get treated to uh, trips to Paris and right, nominate yeah. Emily in Paris, a Netflix show that everyone hated. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, like I said, this this award ceremony is is a scam. So, but you know, a lot of award ceremonies are like this. Let's let's get real. I you know, I'm sorry to to burst your bubble, people who love award season, but even the Oscars are, are kind of like this too. It's, it's Hollywood patting itself on the back. So yes, I think they need to change. Yes. I would love for them to implement these changes, but at the same time, it's like, you know, these awards are bullshit. So I, <laughs> I want something better is what I'm saying, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, well said. I, I agree with that fully. Um, okay, so uh, we got some news today that uh, shocked me because I had no idea that this was in development. And this seems like something that I should have known was in development. And that is that Ryan Johnson, the writer director of movies like Brick and Star Wars The Last Jedi, uh, which I'm going to say now is the best Star Wars movie because Peter is not here to disagree with that yeah. on the episode, but I'm sure he'll disagree with that next time I talk to him. Um, I would had to just like slip that in there because I, I love that movie so much. Um, Brian Johnson is making a TV show, guys. I had no idea about this, but he is making a show called Poker Face that has been given a 10-episode commitment at Peacock, and it's going to star Natasha Lyonne in the lead role. It is a case of the week mystery series, which is like kind of incredible. I love everything about this. Um, Ryan Johnson has been uh, very vocal about his love of Columbo, the 1970s uh, crime procedural show that starred Peter Falk. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter. He's often tweeting about Columbo and um, man, just the, the combination of Natasha Lyonne who starred in Russian doll, which is a, a mystery series of a different kind. Uh, and Ryan Johnson, who's done, you know, his fair share of, of mystery stuff with movies like brick and knives out most recently. Um, it's just a, a great, exciting combination. Um, I just want to throw this out there to, to you guys. Did, did you guys know that this was coming? Am I just, was I completely in the dark here? No, I had I had no knowledge of this, but I'm very okay. I'm very excited about. Yeah, this. I think this was a new thing because no one knows what's going over going on over at Peacock. <laughs> yeah, that's true, and that's the. I mean, I guess that that's this is very good news for Peacock. It sounds like a, a potential big, uh, maybe even like a game changer scenario for them because there's so many streaming services out there, as we talked about ad nauseum. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of people have just ignored Peacock because they haven't really had anything that seemed. Um, essential, I guess, in terms of original content yet. Um, so maybe this will be something that, that really like attracts a lot of attention there. And, uh, I have so no wait, idea. Is yeah. this going to be, this is going to be a mystery of the week show where Natasha Leone is basically Columbo. Is that what you're saying? The show I, is because yeah. that's like, 
Oh my God. That's I want that now. I know. Your alley, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of incredible. Um, I, yeah, basically they, he, he said, uh, Ryan Johnson said in uh, the little, in the statement that accompanied the press release, he said, I'm very excited to dig in the type of, into the type of fun character driven case of the week, mystery goodness. I grew up watching. It's my happy place. Having Natasha as a partner in crime is a dream, blah, 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 blah. So, um, yeah, w- there have not been any like explicit details about exactly, you know, what the character names or any of that stuff are, but yes, a case of the week of mystery with Natasha Leone is sort of a, in the, the main, like primary detective role sounds incredible. So, um, yes, that is called Poker Face, and we have no idea what the timeline is of when exactly that's going to make its way to Peacock, hopefully sometime in the next year or so. Um, there's one other TV show that I wanted to mention here because I thought it sounded intriguing, and that is that a Let the Right One In TV series is going to Showtime, and it has uh, Damien Bashir from A Better Life and The Hateful Eight starring in one of the lead roles in that show. Uh, Let the Right One In is based on the uh, Swedish novel and the movie that uh, came out in 2008. And it is a um, story about uh, kids and vampires and um, the sort of twisted relationship that this vampire adolescent has with the father figure in her life. And that is the character that uh, Bashir is going to be playing. Uh, Andrew Hindricker, uh, who was responsible for the Netflix series Away, and I think he worked on Penny Dreadful as well, is going to serve as the showrunner, executive producer. Um, Seath Mann, who has worked on Homeland, is going to be directing the pilot episode. So yeah, just sounds like a cool idea. Like Let the Right One In is really, really great uh, international sort of... um, like coming of age horror movie that came out, like I said, in 2008. And, and that movie has already been remade uh, in a, in film form by Matt Reeves in 2010. It was called let them in or let, let me, me in, in, excuse me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a great story. And I feel like uh, this is one of those stories that actually could, that does have potential to work well, sort of drawn out in in a small screen format. So um, I know that this has been in the works at a bunch of different places uh, for the past several years. Um, A&E was trying to make it into a show back in 2015. It's bounced around a bunch of different places. So uh, Showtime is going to be where you can see this Let the Right One In TV show. Again, no timeline on that one yet, but um, something to keep your eye out for. Uh, so let's keep it in in TV-related uh, conversation here and talk a little bit about the future of Killing Eve. HT, what is the latest with that show? Killing Eve will kill its final Eve. Just kidding. (laughs) That's not what Killing Eve is about. (laughs) The upcoming fourth season of Killing Eve will be the final season. Uh, The BBC America series will end with um, the In the Works season four, bringing an end to the cat and mouse international game between Sandra O's Eve Palastri and the assassin played by Jodie Comer Villanelle. And uh, this is uh, the... The season of this final season (laughs) was renewed uh, in January 2020, but it was delayed due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, And it's going to be an eight episode season that will be slated to begin production in early summer in the UK and in locations across Europe with Laura Neal serving as head writer uh, for the season following previous head writers like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Emerald Fennell, and Susan Heathcote. Suzanne Heathcote. Uh, But... This might not be the end completely for Killing Eve. Uh, According to reports from Variety, uh, AMC Networks and Sid Gentle Film Limited, which produces Killing Eve, are in early talks of developing a potential spinoff series or or 
multiple series. That there wasn't a, a clarity on that, but uh, they want to expand the world of uh, uh, Killing Eve in some way in potential spinoffs. So, first of all, uh, where are we at on Killing Eve? Where, where I, I have watched the first two seasons and enjoyed it. I have not caught up with season three, which I just double checked right before we started recording this, and it is on Hulu right now. So, I need to add that to my list and, and finally catch up with season three. Um, Chris, what do you think about Killing Eve? Have you seen the show? Or are you caught up with it? Yep, I'm caught up. I actually, I think I reviewed all three seasons for the site. Oh, excellent. So what did you make of the, the most recent season? Uh, I am ready for the show to end. So I'm not sad about this news. Uh, Killing Eve started off phenomenal. That first season is great. And it's gone, you know, even though I've enjoyed all the other seasons, it's it's definitely dropped off in quality since Phoebe Waller-Bridge left. And I I the way the story is unfolding, there's really not much more to do with it. So I do think ending it with season four is the right move. Honestly, it probably should have ended with season one at this point, but, mm. uh, and all this is making it sound like I don't like the show, but I do like it. I just, it's, it's never been as good as that first season. So I'm, I'm happy they're ending it on their own terms. I hope it has a good ending. I really don't know how much I care about spinoffs because <laughs> the 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 hook of the show is are those 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 two lead performances from Sandra mm-hmm. O and Jodie Comer, and if they're not going to be in these spinoffs, and I assume they're not, I don't really see what the point is. So, AC, what about you? Uh, have you caught up with the show? What do you think about it? I only watched the first season, which I really enjoyed, but never caught around to the second or third seasons. But um, I've heard basically the same thing as what Chris is saying, that the first season was phenomenal. And I really love Phoebe Waller-Bridge's writing and um, her voice and style in general. So I think I was a little bit put off by the fact that she wasn't returning for season two. It was going to be a new head writer every season. And uh, I just never got around to later seasons. Mm-hmm. Um Chris, since you've seen all of it, do you have any idea what they could be talking about in terms of spinoffs? Like, having only seen the first two seasons, I can't think of any character, you know, side well, character or anything like that that would, like, warrant a whole separate show. I mean, Jodie Comer's character, Villanelle, belongs to, like, a whole society of, like, secret assassins. So I'm mm-hmm. guessing that's what a spinoff would be about. Like, it would go further into that you know, that group, because we don't really know a whole lot about them. They're very vague. They keep introducing like new characters every now and then who are part of that group, but Mm. it's remained mostly in the shadows. So I imagine that's what we're going to get. Well, that's kind of disappointing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe season four will introduce like some amazing new character that that will be like, Oh, I definitely want to follow this person, but that's probably a a naive uh, hope at this point. But, um, yeah, I'm with you, Chris. I, I'm glad that they're ending it on on their own terms, and uh, hopefully, season four will be like so good that it will inspire people like HT and and myself to continue on and and um, you know maybe power through some of the lackluster middle to get to a, a great ending. So, um, all right, let's go to the mailbag for uh, one topic right before we end this episode. And this one was sent in to us by somebody who did not leave their name and general geographic location like I ask everybody to do. So thank you for not following the rules. Uh, No, I'm not sure what this person's name is or where they're from, so I cannot credit you here. But the email they sent in says, do you think there comes a point in a critic's life that he or she has seen so many movies that their love of film and cinema becomes sour 
to the point of criticizing a film and every little thing instead of the joy of the film. So uh, I wanted to see what you guys thought about that. Aishi, do you have any thoughts about this? Well, that's my fear. Um, But I went into writing about movies and reviewing movies out of love for movies. And I still love movies as of now. So I hope I won't reach that point yet. Um, I do know Chris has watched way more movies than me and has been, you know, in this business for longer. So maybe he has something to say about that. Chris. Oh, um, I love movies. I, I guess, I guess writing about movies and studying movies has made me, I don't want to say more, how did this person phrase it? Um, more sour. sour. To the point, yeah. I mean, look, I'm I'm pretty sour to begin with. So <laughs> movies aren't going to change that. Um, I I do think it has affected the way I watch movies in the sense that I want movies to be better. <laughs> like I I see so many movies and there are so many bad movies and it's a part of me is like, man, I wish this were better. But I don't think I'm ever going to reach a point where I'm just like, God damn, I'm sick of movies. You know, I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm sick of bad movies and I <laughs> I'm sick of uh, Hollywood sort of embracing one formula at a time and sticking with it. And, you know, I would love, I would, you know, I, I would love a, a return of variety. I would love for Disney not to be running pretty much everything, you know, but I, there's, I'm never, I can never imagine a point where I'm just like, ugh, movies, you know, movies, movies are my life. This is, I've devoted my entire existence to the movies and uh, I don't want to reach a point where I'm like, ah, I've wasted my life. Even though I, I really, really, really have wasted my life. Oh no, my you haven't, Chris. <laughs> so, you do but great I, work. No, no, no. But um, I, you know, movies are important. Movies are uh, how I connect with the world. You know, I don't know what the hell I would do without movies. So I can't imagine ever getting, getting to a point where I'm, I'm done with them, even though I probably should just become a dentist or something at this point <laughs> so I can, I can retire. Yeah, I kind of feel like the, I feel like this sentiment comes up a lot, which is why I thought it would be interesting for us to talk about it here. Like, um, especially from people who, um, you know, like criticize critics, I think. Uh, and not to say that this person who's sent in this email is, you know, has has that sort of perspective. But um, j- yeah, like I, I think the reason critics do what they do is because they love movies and because like yeah, they I, love finding the joy in film. I, I think if, if you ever reach a point as a critic where all of the joy of movies has been sapped from your experience, then like that sounds like a miserable existence. And I, I maybe you could argue that like there are some super old critics who have been doing this for decades and decades and decades and, and arguably shouldn't be doing it anymore because it seems sort of like that's happened, but I feel like for us, who you know, we're we haven't we've been doing it for maybe decades, but not decades and decades and decades yet. Um, I, I hope that that has not happened for us yet. Yeah, um, I think I do think there, and again, I'm not saying this this person fits in that category, but I do think there is a misunderstanding about what film critics do, and like I don't go into, I never go into a movie being like, ha ha, I can't wait to shit all over this movie, like even. Now, recent example, even the Snyder cut, like I was apprehensive about watching this because I'm not a huge Zack Snyder fan. And I was like, you know what? I'm I'm a little nervous. This is going to be bad. But I didn't go into that movie being like, I can't wait to rip this movie apart, Mm -hmm. call it terrible. And I went into it with an open mind and I ended up liking it a million times more than I ever expected to. So 
I don't, I'm not saying there are critics who do this. I'm sure there are critics who are just, you know, miserable bastards and they go into movies like, just like, fuck this. But I, I think the majority of people who write about movies, they do it because they love movies. And, uh, you know, I, I hate writing really negative reviews. I would much rather write a positive review. I would much rather come out of a movie and be like, I didn't just waste two hours. I just watched something really good. I, you know, I want every new movie I watch to be my new favorite movie. And it's not going to be because there are so many bad movies. <laughs> yeah. But, just the odds, you know, <laughs> but that's the, that's the dream. The dream is to come out of every movie and be like, God damn, that was good. And, uh, that doesn't happen that often, but when it does, that's, uh, that's, that's magical. Yeah. I think that like the idea of, um, evangelizing for something and like, there's so there's not much better than that than seeing an incredible movie and being like i have to tell as many people as possible about this thing that i just witnessed and like explain why it's great and and why it moved me in such a way or or whatever the case may be like why it's it's an you know interesting part of this person's filmography or all these different things that we do to contextualize this stuff um i I think we really love it even and yes I, i think a lot of us criticize stuff and point out you know, flaws or, or whatever. Um, and I think it, it's done primarily out of love, like out of like, oh man, like there was so much potential here, but it didn't, you know, meet that or whatever the case may be. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think you probably know, you know, listening to this podcast, you you get a sense of like what our personalities are. And you, I think hopefully listeners know that none of us are like, yeah, out to get anybody. But I think in some reading, uh, you know, in, in reading reviews and critics and, and work all across the internet. If you read enough of the same person over and over again, enough of their personality comes through where you can sort of get a sense of like how they, you know, their, their outlook on stuff like that. So, um, you know, if, if that's something that bothers you, I would say maybe just like try to find people who seem a little bit more open-minded and, and who don't have such like a miserable, um, sourness to, uh, to the way that they talk about movies. Cause I, I, yeah, even if I, don't like a majority of the things that I see in a year, um, which ha- happens sometimes. Uh, I, I think we try to do a good job of, um, of, you know, propping up the stuff that we do like, or even the aspects of the things that we don't, uh, the, the as- aspects of the things that we do like that are, you know, held within stuff that we don't. So, um, Aisha, do you have any uh, closing thoughts on this? No, I think you guys all put it perfectly. Okay, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Uh, You can find more about the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. Um, Oh, I should say, Chris, you mentioned the Snyder Cut, and I think next Monday, uh, or I guess this coming Monday, we're going to have a a big like Snyder Cut-themed podcast episode. Um, are we well yeah will there be cake is there gonna be like a cider cut cake (laughs) oh man that would be the break room the slash film break room uh i was talking to peter about this off mic and i I think that that makes the most sense because i believe it uh is released on thursday it it comes out on hbo max on thursday and it's four hours long so um expecting people to have enough time to watch it thursday night uh seems like a little quick so we're not going to talk about it much on if, if at all on friday but hopefully over the course of you know thursday friday saturday sunday people who want to see it will have the opportunity to do that and then we'll, we'll they'll be able to dive in with us uh on monday and we'll sort of like break the whole thing down and, and talk about what works and what doesn't and all that so plus just, by then like every single spoiler for the film will have 
leaked online. So we can <laughs> yes, get away exactly. with it. Including the We Live in a Society line. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I uh, just wanted to sort of lay out um, the, the plan there in case anybody was curious. Um, so, uh, yes, you can subscribe to this show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Send us some more mailbag questions and, and topics, too. We'd love that. Um, make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.